0: And hello to you and welcome to the Richard Nichols podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols and this is episode 163. It's titled Dealing with Depression and if you're ready, we'll start the show. Now then. Today's episode is prompted from multiple emails that I've received over the years asking for help with depression, and it's something that I've put off, and put off, and put off because, well, to spend a quarter of an hour listening to me talking about depression could be, um, well, it could be quite depressing, couldn't it? Really, for everybody, even if they're not really normally depressed. So. Although I talk, I guess in some of my podcast episodes, a little about depression in some way, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about it today because people want it. So, trigger warning, you know, if, if, if depression is something that you find a difficult topic for whatever reason, then listen to as little of this as you want. Listen to five minutes of it, switch off. Listen to none of it, switch off. It's absolutely fine. Your life is your own. But I'm going to try and look at this from as many angles as I can, keep it as light as possible, try and keep a smile on my face as I talk about all these things. But I need to make something quite clear from the start here. Treatment for depression isn't like buying a scarf. One size does not fit all. One person's experience isn't going to be the same as someone else's, anyone else's. Now, sure, there are going to be some similarities. There are going to be some things in common from one patient to the next. But to listen to this episode and think that you come close to understanding everyone's depression wouldn't be fair. If you have a friend or family member with depression, what I hope this will do for you is help you to (laughs) realise... that there are no rules as such on how to help them. I'm afraid you have to work that out for yourselves. So starting at the beginning, let's, let's look at the word depression because it's quite an overused word, really. And it means one thing outside of the psychiatric clinic and another thing inside. People often describe themselves as feeling depressed when they're actually maybe unfulfilled. Now, that's not to say that unfulfilled, excuse me, put my teeth in, unfulfilled, I did it again, unfulfilled folk will still get clinical depression. Of course they will. But be aware that using a clinical word to describe the fact that you're fed up with your job might just undermine the person you sit opposite, who's been on medication for 15 years following a suicide attempt, and they've just never mentioned it to anybody. And I know it sounds a bit pedantic, because... Yeah, language changes over time. We use the word depressed for feeling miserable nowadays. So what? What harm can it do? Well, I do wonder if it minimises the benefits that are being done in trying to end the stigma of mental health problems. But anyway, that's probably for another day. And sometimes what we think of as depression as a mental illness is referred to as MDD, Major Depressive Disorder Anyway in the same way that we use um, obsessive-compulsive disorder to describe when someone's obsessive thoughts become disorderly. But it has to be disorderly. It's not a disorder to like things neat and tidy. Please don't describe yourself as being OCD just because your tins in the cupboard are facing the same direction. That's not a disorder. Being obsessive to the point of it being a disorder prevents people from leaving the house for weeks because they don't trust that it won't catch fire. Because they can't get that thought of it out of their head. So major depressive disorder is when, despite the fact that everything is fine, you've had weeks and weeks and weeks of feeling really low. If, on paper, you have every reason to be happy, friends, family, purpose, fulfilment, yet still you have no enthusiasm to take part in life, then it's worth questioning whether you might have clinical depression. If you feel like that and actually you're dealing with a very difficult lifestyle, then yes, that's still depression, but it's reactive depression and maybe needs treating in a different way. We'll come to that. Basically, depression is a mood disorder and the word disorder is the important part here because we can be in bad moods and not have depression. We can be a grumpy old sod and it not be a disorder Everyone has overwhelming periods and depressive times, but it becomes a disorder when there's no real reason for the mood being so low. And I mean, so low. Tired even though you've slept. No enthusiasm to take part in anything. No energy at all. It can feel a lot like flu, especially as the immune system can drop quite considerably and so you you might even get a cold. But if these symptoms are bundled together with... um feelings of hopelessness and an inability to feel good about things that you would normally feel quite good about, then it's worth asking the question, is this depression? And that's scary. Sometimes we don't like to ask that of ourselves in case we don't like the answer that we give ourselves back because what if we say, yeah, I think it is? Well, sometimes this happens to us because we're doing something that our body and mind can't handle for very long, but we've sustained it. So it's often useful to take stock at your life and figure out where unnecessary emotional responses are too frequent. Are there things that make you more anxious than they should? Or more angry? Or more belittled? Stupid or insignificant? If these feelings become chronic, they can feel as if they've become part of our personality, part of who we are, And there's nothing worse than thinking it's just the way I am about something that causes great pain. So maybe take stock. Stop and look at your job, your friends, your family, your relationship, because maybe your depression was trying to tell you something. And it can sometimes be useful to think of your depression as something external that would talk to you almost to think of, Depression as a thing, a voice, a black dog that tells you what to do. It was Winston Churchill who called his depression his black dog that would sit in the corner of his room and influence his mood for a few months. And sometimes depression will try to tell you things that aren't true, just as a way of trying to keep you safe, you know. Everyone hates you. You're a dreadful parent, awful friend, that sort of thing. But it can try to make you do things. Eat, not eat drink stay in bed sit in silence hide and it can be helpful to ignore that be aware of the pull the stay in bed even though it's almost afternoon because you know my partner can look after the kids today i'm ill yeah they can but that doesn't mean that you have to stop in bed making yourself feel worse just to keep yourself safe by avoiding responsibilities there's a middle ground your depression is just trying to keep you safe by hiding away from the world. Often people will say that they, they realised that their partner was depressed rather than just in a, in a mood when they noticed that they hadn't had a shower for four days. And they know it can seem like a lot of effort. No, no, that's unfair. It is. It is a lot of effort to force yourself out of bed, to shower, to shave, to get dressed. When depressed, it's like climbing Everest, just taking the kids to school just with fewer blisters. But depression can make it feel as if you're suffering from altitude sickness and you can hardly put one foot in front of another. But you can, just like climbing Everest. You can do it. It's just hard to walk, like walking through a swamp, just, just walking to the car. So to try and do the opposite of what your depression tells you to do is likely to help you. If you're black dog or whatever wants you to hide away from your friends, then be aware of that. That it's not you, it's the depression. But that despite the depression, you still have control over your reactions and behaviour, even though it's hard. So you might have to make plans with a friend that it would be really difficult to get out of and find that balance between doing too much and doing too little. Because you can't do negative things and expect a positive result. But by doing some of the things that you'd only normally do if you weren't depressed, then you're going to be in a better place to start getting better. And bear in mind that depression isn't all about sitting in a corner of a room, rocking backwards and forwards for a a whole day. That's major depression. But if it becomes a a low-level chronic condition, which is sometimes called dysthymia, which is... um, it's a, it's, a, it's a mild depression that prevents pleasure, but doesn't stop you from functioning. You can still go to work. You can still watch a funny film and even laugh at it. You can be happy in that moment and depressed. Depressed people still laugh at funny stuff, but it's as if everything is foggy and grey. The world seems harder to get through and the mind is, is thoughts are so negative. If major depressive disorder is a school bully that kicks you in the stomach every lunch break, then dysthymia is the is the uh, the dickhead that sits behind you flicking your ear every 30 seconds so that it always hurts. But because someone with dysthymia, lower functioning depression, can still function quite well, it often goes undiagnosed and people don't seek help because they don't think they're bad enough. So that's the first thing to do. I'd suggest that step one in overcoming depression, in learning to deal with it, is to find a therapist. Get help. Most people don't. It's been suggested that only a quarter of people with depression actually ask for help. And talking to a professional about it really does help. If it didn't, then I'd be doing something else for a living. Otherwise, I'd be depressed and unfulfilled myself and I'd be doing whatever does help instead. So step one, find a therapist you like. Someone who you feel you can connect with. If you're in the UK, and most of our listeners are, go to the BACP website or the UKCP website and see what counsellors and psychotherapists there are in your area. I'll put some links in the show notes. The BACP and the UKCP are the two main counselling and psychotherapy organisations in the UK. The BACP are more about counsellors and the UKCP are more about psychotherapy. The difference between counselling and psychotherapy, apart from about 20 quid a session, is Mm -hmm. that counselling is often more about the here and now, a space to share your thoughts, Slag off your partner, be angry about your boss or whatever, find ways of feeling better about it. And that's really helpful. Psychotherapy is the same, but is a bit more in depth, more likely to also be exploring the past a bit, looking at some of the reasons behind how any negative thoughts or beliefs about self and fears, etc., how they began and how they continued without being challenged. And both ways of working are fine for a therapist and they'll work with what you need. Because most counsellors also do psychotherapy and most psychotherapists also do counselling. So the difference between a counsellor and a psychotherapist is a bit of a blurry line. But to be honest, all the research points to the important factor in a, a therapeutic outcome being the relationship you have with the therapist rather than the style of therapy they work with. So... Email or call some up and leave messages asking for a call back and a chat. If you're lucky, you can phone them and they won't be with the client. You might even get to chat immediately, but don't be surprised if you have to wait a few hours before you actually get to talk. Contact loads, five, six, ten, doesn't matter. But chat to them all about how they work and what they can do for you. See which ones you connect with. And if you like them all and it's hard to decide which one to choose out of all those therapists because you like them all then it it doesn't matter then, does it? It really doesn't matter which one you choose. Just choose the one that can see you the soonest or is closest to you or cheapest or whatever is important and go and talk. And the next big step, if you need it, is medication. It's not for everyone and you might find that talk therapy can replace that. But a lot of my clients, if not, yeah, pretty much, not all, that's an exaggeration, I don't like absolutes, but a lot of my clients would do both. They would see a therapist, they would see me, and they would take medication as well. There's a reason why we call psychotherapy and counselling complementary therapy, because it complements medication. It's not alternative therapy. It runs alongside the medical path. But it can take a while to get to see your GP. So make the call as soon as you can. And your GP will spend as many minutes as they've got Available with you, going through a few options. I know it might not seem like a great relationship with your GP, nine minutes to figure out whether you've got major depressive disorder or lower level dysthymia, but they're not daft. It's their job to help you. And then there's the things that you can do for yourself, like looking after your body. We often forget that the brain is part of our body. We seem to think that we have a, a mind and we have a body, and we don't see that they're part of the same system. So make sure you treat yourself right. Eat healthily, but not to the point of denying yourself the nice things. Don't rely on unhealthy food to try and boost your mind. There's no research that I've ever seen that suggests that would work long term. And cut down on any alcohol if you drink, maybe quite significantly. Alcohol and depression do not mix well, because the alcohol slows down conscious thinking and brings out the unconscious habits that normally we can hold back when sober. So try not to get drunk. That's not likely to benefit you anyway. And exercise. I know people harp on about it and I get annoyed when people do, but I can't deny it. You know, it helps you would be surprised just how much of a benefit exercise has on depression. It's been shown in dozens and dozens of studies and we shouldn't ignore it. And I know exercise is literally hard work. It is the literal embodiment of working. You're, you're using your body but it really can help. And no one really knows exactly why. Because it's it's obviously made up of lots of things. Jogging gets us out of the house and into the world, so we don't feel quite so isolated. And the gym is the same to a degree, but you, know, you can swing kettlebells around the front room watching tutorials on YouTube and have some benefit as well. Not as much, because I think the social aspect of exercising is is, a, is quite a big ingredient. Is really quite important. But as I say so often, anything is better than nothing. Getting your heart pumping reminds the brain that you can move, that you're alive, that there are no saber-toothed tigers looking for you. And even if there was, you've got a body that works and can get away. Now, maybe all this is just conjecture. Maybe we're all just making it up. And there's some other reason why exercise seems to help mental health so well, and we just don't know what it is yet. But no matter why it helps, it does. It really does, so use it. Exercise is mostly free. It shouldn't be a commodity. Get a personal trainer if you can afford it, or join a gym. That's great. It'll, it'll really spur you on, but it costs pretty much nothing to, to... Well, maybe a pair of trainers and some jogging bottoms to go out for a brisk walk. I'm assuming you've already got a t-shirt. You've probably already got a pair of trainers too. Maybe you've got a friend who'd like to join you. Uh, Maybe you can um, share your mental health struggles with, with someone as you do so. If you do, then it's not selfish to speak to them about it. You don't even have to go running together. You can just meet for coffee, sit on the sofa and talk about it. Or anything, actually. You might find that just knowing that there are other people in your life, that maybe those people like you more than you like you, it can wake up some positive part of you. It's worth knowing about this because it might not be you that has mental health problems, but it could easily be a good friend. And the prevalence of depression is, is well, it's difficult to measure, but it's it's it's, it's out there. It's everywhere. Every seven years, there's a survey done in England to measure the number of people who have different types of mental health problems in that moment. The last time it was published was in 2016. And all that reported was that depression was in just under 4% of the population with mixed anxiety and depression at 8%. That doesn't Anecdotally, that doesn't seem to make sense. It seems to be more popular than that. But the survey also measured the number of people who had self-harmed or had suicidal thoughts or have made suicidal attempts over their lifetime. And that showed suicide thoughts at 20% of the population. So no, even if it might not be you that has a problem right now, and it might not be a, a good friend that's got a problem right now, there's a chance that at some point somebody you share your life with has considered taking their own life. And that might be your best mate. And they might need you to strike a balance between being there for them and giving them distance. And I say a balance because it's likely to be both. Almost at the same time, one day being there for them and the next day leaving them alone. We're very complicated, us humans. And what we need when we're depressed is going to be different for everyone. So maybe, as a friend of someone with depression, what we need to do is just simply be there for them when they want us. To understand that they're struggling. To empathise. Not sympathise, sympathy isn't going to make anyone feel better about themselves, as it can so easily come out as pity. But empathy will help. Listening to them, understanding how they feel, putting yourself in their position, and rather than thinking about what you think you might need if you were unwell, it's about them. Think about what they need. It's not about you. That's sympathy. That's that's pity. Just trying to say the right thing by putting your view of the world onto them, that may well isolate them even further. One thing that's important is to show them show them that you care by being authentic. Don't just text them with "How are you?" because there's a strong chance all you'll get back is "Fine, how are you?" because that's what we do, isn't it? We rely on default questions and answers just to make life easier. And someone with depression is likely to try and deflect any conversation away from themselves and back to you anyway. So instead, you probably need to ask them, how are you doing today? And if all you get back is, fine, how are you? Then you ask them again. Be authentic. Reply with, yeah, I'm all right. Are you sure you're fine? Or was that just the default answer? Smiling, winking emoji, you know. And then say something like, really though, how are you today? I'm free for a chat for a couple of minutes if you are. I saw a few little videos on Twitter earlier on this month, probably because of World Mental Health Day on October the 10th. There was a couple of comedians promoting it, and this phrase kept popping up. Ask twice. Ask twice. I thought, I liked that. The organisation Time to Change have been promoting this. It's a great idea. They made this video with a great metaphor or analogy, I guess. It starts with this bloke standing in a wood, talking to a mate, and he says, It's so nice out here, isn't it? But the chap he's talking to is trapped under a fallen tree, but doesn't complain, just says, Yeah. But clearly something's not right. But even when his friend says, Are you all right, mate? He still says, Yeah, I'm fine. But it's not until the guy says, are you sure you're all right? That the trapped man says, well, actually, I could do with some help. And that's where the whole ask twice thing comes from. A client that, I don't know, maybe I've been seeing them for a a few months, will come into my consulting room or we will connect via online video and I'll say, hi there, so how are you? And so many times they just say, fine. But if they were fine, they'd have probably cancelled their appointment. So when I cock my head a little and say, fine, sure. I'm not leading them away from being fine just to keep them in therapy for a bit longer. I'm allowing them to be honest with themselves and be honest with me. To open up a discussion about what, what, they, what they need to actually be fine and it not be a lie. I knew that today was going to be a, a long episode. We're over 23 minutes in and hardly scratched the surface, to be honest. But I hope I've helped you to gain a, a bit of extra insight into depression. And I encourage you to read up on it if it's something that you feel that you need to understand more about. And there are plenty of specific podcast series about depression. There's YouTube videos and God knows how many books. But in short, if you need a therapist, get one. If you need medication, get it. If you need help, ask for it. And if you think that someone else needs help, ask twice. So let's leave it here for now. Feel free to continue the discussion via social media if you like. You can find me on Twitter at Richard Nichols, Instagram at Richard Nichols Real, and Facebook at Motivate Yourself Podcast. I must find a way of changing that. The links to my social media stuff are splattered all over the place, though, so they're in the show notes of the device you're listening to. This episode on for a start, and uh, especially if you listen via the website. Oh, that reminds me. I should have mentioned this last time, and I totally forgot. Um, For a couple of weeks in September, I think it was, the form to subscribe to my newsletter on my website wasn't working properly. I changed it as soon as somebody pointed it out, but if you tried to subscribe to my newsletter a few months ago and you didn't get the automatic reply with the links to download the extra episodes and the relaxation MP3s, then you need to do it again. So go to richardnichols.net, click on the newsletter link in the menu, fill it out, and have a good chill out. It can only do you good. So enjoy November, happy fans, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.